Welcome to Scavenger's Horde. We're a Star Wars podcast, offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney+, Plus, or a weird Legends novelization you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 177, and it's 1st of April, 2022. Hello, this is Editing Rachel here. Unfortunately, we had a range of technical problems with this episode that meant that we had to rely on backup recordings. And to make a long story short, the backup recording missed the first 10 minutes of the podcast. So unfortunately, that means that Kirsty's recommendations um, are lost. Uh, We have my side of the recording, but obviously that would make a very strange listening experience. So yeah, I just wanted to quickly provide what Kirsty's um, picks were, um, just so that you're not missing out because they recommended some really cool stuff. Um, so yeah, the first one was Elvira's memoir, um, and Elvira is obviously like a horror icon, um, and she like first arose in the 1980s, I think. Um, and yeah, Kirsty wanted to let people know that it's a really great celebrity memoir for name dropping. Um, and she had encounters with Jimmy Page, Tom Jones, Elvis, Fellini. And one of my main questions, and the answer was yes, is that Elvira also had many anecdotes about Vincent Price, which made me very happy. So I love Vincent Price. Um, and yet yeah, also goes into more serious stuff like about um, her like coming out in later life after um, an emotionally abusive marriage. Um, and yeah, just got a glowing recommendation worth checking out, even if you're not a horror fan. Um, then a book that was recommended was Under One Roof by Ali Hazelwood. It's another Raylo fic turned romance. Um, and yeah, Ali is just the master at this nascent genre, if you will. Um, and yeah, it's just really charming and it's perfect if you want a guaranteed happily ever after. So check that out. And then finally, um, Kirsty wanted to recommend Death Becomes Her, um, and yeah, that was prompted by the sad news about Bruce Willis's retirement from acting. Um, and yeah, it was one of Kirsty's favourite Bruce Willis performances, so they went back and watched it because of that. Yeah, it was just entirely against type, really funny, um, and it also has Meryl Streep in Goldie Hawn, um, really wild and goofy commentary on Hollywood's fear of ageing. So yeah, you can't go wrong with it, basically, so check it out. But yeah, I will resume the edit with the actual podcast recording, um, which includes from my second pick. My first pick was The Godfather Part 2, which is bloody brilliant. I won't rabbit on about it, though. You're probably sick of hearing just me now. Um, but yeah, the podcast will resume with me recommending Maya and the Free. Um, and I apologise if you notice a drop in audio quality. That's because we were relying on backups for this episode. So yeah, apologies again, and I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you. Uh, yep. Yeah, so the next thing I want to recommend is there's an animated series on Netflix called Maya and the Free. Um, and this is by the creator who did the book of life which is a really great um animated film from probably like eight years ago now um and i really loved that movie when it came out and i had not even heard of this show to be honest and it came out last year i think but i checked it out and i binged it it's like nine half hour episodes something like that and it was just so so good i really loved it it's I'd say it's pretty family friendly, you know, if you have kids, I think you could safely watch it with your kids as long as they're older, you know, but it's also just so beautifully animated, it does really interesting stuff thematically, it's this whole story essentially about the tension um, 
between like the human societies, all the different tribes and civilizations, and the gods in that civilization. And like the gods playing tricks on the humans and all these sort of like interactions and treacheries and betrayals between the mortal world and the world of the gods and stuff and it's it's very labyrinthine, you know, there's lots of really cool world building. So I don't I can't even begin to explain it basically, there's too much going on. Um but yeah, just check it out if you liked the Book of Life and if you like really cool animated shows and fantasy storytelling, it's definitely worth watching. Mm, it looks gorgeous. Yeah, no, I'd really recommend it, and I I will. People will laugh at me listening to this because I find a way to do this every episode. <laughs> but there is also a Raylo esque dynamic in this show. <laughs> Although I will warn people that you should steal yourself for a heartbreak. Oh well. <laughs> so, yeah, I might have just immediately turned everyone off watching the show. So <laughs> apologies. I don't mind the heartbreak if it feels earned, and there's like the emotional weight there that's the thing and i think that's exactly what this show does well okay you know there is lots of emotional weight and there's lots of awareness of, of the storytelling decisions that are being made and that's obviously what we did not get with Rayla. Oh, that's, that's all i ask <laughs> while it broke me a little bit i also ultimately found it kind of healing so yeah maybe if you're a heartbroken Raylo, you should watch it <laughs> so yeah check it out is diego luna in that as well uh yes he is yeah, gotta find those star wars connections yeah no and i think he actually plays the um male romantic lead mm-hmm. if i remember correctly so yeah very worth checking out um and then very quickly i read the novel power of the dog um which is obviously the basis of the film um that was written by thomas savage um so i always i really loved the film and i think having read the book the book is really good but i did prefer the film like I'd say the book and the film are very close you know the film is a very loyal adaptation of what's going on with the book but in some ways the film is a little bit more subtle and understated than the book you know sometimes the book does because it's a book it spells things out (laughs) Um, you know whereas in the film it's just using the images and it's all a bit more oblique and left to the viewer's imagination I think I preferred the execution in the film because of that. Um, but it's still a really, really well done um, piece of writing. And I think especially in terms of getting into the head of Benedict Cumberbatch's character, it is really useful for that. You know, like you obviously get a good feel from Cumberbatch's performance in the film. But you, I felt like I really, really understood what was making this guy tick after reading the book mm. because you're so much placed into his shoes, you know, and placed into his mindset that you get a much more thorough understanding of why he is like he is. So, yeah, if you like the film, you should read the book. I plan on reading that, yeah. Yeah, I think you'd really like it. I think you should read The Lost Daughter as well. Yeah, no, and I actually have that on my bookshelf. It's staring at me. Um, I do want to read it, and I plan on reading it. So, yeah, it's coming up. I'm reading a um, book about um, prostitution in 18th century London at the moment. Fair enough. But, yeah, I'll cue that up for the next one. Like you say, it's really interesting when you watch these movies to then go and read, you know, what it's been adapted from, because there are certain elements that get left behind and things that get embellished and are conveyed differently, obviously because of the medium. And yeah. there's been a lot of interesting discussion around the power of the dog in terms of like whether those themes really are delivered quite on the nose or whether it's too subtle for some people. Because I saw a bit of confusion about how things are left at the end, which kind of baffled me. But I guess it really depends on what you bring into the movie with you, like all art, I guess. 
Yeah, and I found that an interesting facet of the book because I feel like it literally tells you unequivocally how a certain thing happened mm. in the book. Whereas in the film, I think like you, Kirsty, I, I felt it told you what happened. It, it literally does at the beginning. I mean, if it, like, maybe you forget that by the end, but yeah, felt like everything was building that way. It, exactly. See, I, I watched the film with two people I'd met in the cinema on the day of the screening. They were nice people and we got chatting. And after the film was finished, I was talking to them about what they thought about it. And I realised that they had no idea what had just happened in terms <laughs> of who had done what. And yeah, that was quite an awkward Yeah, moment. but if really, if you can get like beyond that initial confusion and, and have a conversation about why, it might, you know, people just receive these characters and their interactions differently, right? And- yeah, no, no, and I did explain to them what had actually happened, you know, because I wasn't spoiling it. They'd also watched the film. Yeah. I was just making the connection for them. And, you know, I could see, like, the understanding dawn on their face and they were like, oh, okay, that puts it completely differently. Right. So they were kind of like, oh, I just thought it was all kind of pointless. I didn't really get what they were building to and stuff. And it's like, well, it was all about this, actually. <laughs> Um, but yeah, sorry guys if you haven't watched Power of the Dog because that won't make any sense. But if you have, hopefully it does make sense. Yeah, and if you haven't, we recommend it. Obviously, it's on Netflix. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and I've realised I had these things the wrong way round because Power of the Dog would have made the perfect transition into the Oscars <laughs> chat. But for, just very quickly, I will mention The Witch, directed by Robert Eggers, which I had seen before, but not for a long time, and actually really enjoyed The Witch more on second viewing than I had upon seeing it the first time I just thought yeah again it's like a very understated movie and although it was very much marketed as like a freaky horror film (laughs) it is pretty scary it is scary but you know it's also a lot about just what it was like to live in that very particular time and place Mm. you know and just the way it kind of brings that history to life you know makes it so vivid and palpable you know, the experience of being a settler in a land that's completely alien to you, you know, and what that does to you in your mind and the sorts of fantasies you'd have and how you'd cope with that, with religion and all the hysteria that would be bred in that sort of situation. I felt, yeah, it was just so, so great at evoking all that and bringing all those concepts to life in a really interesting way. So... Yeah, it's a great movie. Um, and obviously, Anya Taylor-Joy, I think that was like her first big, in air quotes, movie. So it was a small movie, but it broke out, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she's really well known now, and she deserves to be. Um, but yeah, if you love her and haven't seen The Witch, you need to see The Witch. If you're a fan of that actress, you need to see that for sure. Exactly. It's pretty much a touchstone. Um, yes, you really like The Witch too, don't you, Kirsty? I do, but I've only seen it once, and it was a while ago now. But maybe I should mm. revisit I do recommend revisiting. It was on Netflix in the UK, so I don't know if it's the same in the US, but yeah, hopefully you could find it easy. Mm. Um, Okay, so let's finally do this much promised (laughs) Oscar chat. Let me just bring up a list of the Best Picture nominees so we can definitively judge what we have and haven't seen. Okay, so Nightmare Alley, we've both seen that, right? Yeah. Belfast, I've seen that. I haven't. Okay. King Richard, I have not seen. I have. Don't Look Up, I have not seen. I have. Unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry. I'm putting words in Kirsty's mouth. I it's fine. There's nothing, I think there's so much like discourse around films and it's like you have to pick a side. It's an extreme. And it's like a lot of the time when people are like, I think what the frustration is around when people like are very 
against a film it's not so much the film they're often like yeah it was okay it's like the overwhelming attention it gets and that's a bit like baffling like i don't think that deserved to be in the running for best picture it's it was okay you know yeah no like i just as a genre i don't really get that type of film why it exists but anyway let's move on make people aware of climate change yeah like it's so (laughs) so important how would they know otherwise (laughs) okay so then there's licorice pizza which i I think we've both seen yeah uh coda yep i have not seen coda do you have apple or whatever it's called i do not which is a big part of why i haven't okay you can just get Um, a free trial yeah, no, exactly. I'm kind of like waiting for them to accumulate enough stuff that I want to see for me to really pack a lot into the free trial period. <laughs> so then get the free trial and cancel Fair enough. after watching a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I'm tight that way. We've got an energy crisis in the UK, guys. It's not good. <laughs> um, okay, June. We have both seen June. Mm-hmm. Uh, Power of the Dog, we've both seen. Um, Drive My Car, we've both seen. Yep. Um, and West Side Story, we've both seen. Yep. So I think overall... Like I, I don't feel embarrassed about that showing. So there's three I haven't seen. I haven't seen King Richard, Don't Look Up, and Coda. And I think the only one you haven't seen is Belfast. Yeah, and I think it's just because uh, I could rent it on Amazon Prime, but it's not streaming somewhere, and I just yeah. haven't. Oh been God, going. it's not worth it. Don't do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So out of all those Best Picture nominees, like you don't necessarily have to choose one, but which three of those nominees that you have seen mm. would you say were your top three out of that list? Um, it's tricky because it, in terms of my favourite films, I'd probably go with Drive My Car, The Power of the Dog and Licorice Pizza, but I mm-hmm. I don't feel like Licorice Pizza was an Oscar movie. Like I didn't expect it to win. Yeah. No, it felt very indie. And I loved it. I thought it was great. But yeah, I know what you mean. It doesn't have that like feel to it. Um, I think for me, I'd probably say Licorice Pizza, Power of the Dog and West Side Story. Mm. And I did also really like Drive My Car. but um, And I think, to be fair, I might love it a lot more in a rewatch. Um, but yeah, I think of that list, those three are the ones that I really, really loved the most. So yeah, they're basically... I think I I haven't seen Coda. I'm not going to judge Coda because I haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, I think for me it's a struggle to see how Coda would be better than say like West Side Story. So I found that so incredibly spectacular. But I guess different strokes. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone values different things in their movies. Um, and I'm not an Oscar voter. So yeah, I just figure all of these voters they're going by very different criteria and maybe in terms of like how a movie makes them feel when they get to the end. Um the overall tone of it i mean i i like coda it's not a bad movie like yeah. it's very uplifting it's a sweet simple story great performances uh I, you know i don't have issue with it it's just not my best picture yeah so i think that's pretty much all we had to say about best picture um june won best cinematography which i think is pretty well deserved that was a beautiful looking movie i think technically it was outstanding june won so many awards which makes all of the the wider talk about the Oscars being really snobby and filled with films that no one watches all the more baffling. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like June is essentially like the like original superhero story, right? Yeah, it's like Star Wars winning a bunch of Oscars. It's like, guys, people watch these movies. <laughs> Maybe not every single one. That's pretty populist. Um, and yeah, Jane Campion won Best Director for Power of the Dog. And I think that might have been like the only win that Power of the Dog got yeah. on the night. 
which is pretty sad uh, because I thought that film was smashing, um, as one says. Yeah, all the actors were nominated, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. But yeah, at the same time, I'm really happy that Jane won because, yeah, she's obviously an incredible director and so accomplished. And yeah, I hope this means that there's a lot more Jane Campion films in the future. So I think she's done a lot of TV in the last few years mm. and like um, Top of the Lake, um, which is very good. But I'm always a movie person first and foremost, so I want people to be nudged into making more movies. Yeah, I wonder if it'll inspire people to go back and watch her older films because there's been a bit of a revival around in the cut lately. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, people like Jordan Searles have been championing that movie because it was it was ripped to shreds by critics when it came out. But I think partly because Meg Ryan was like really stepping out of her comfort zone in that role. It's a subversive feminist take on like the erotic thriller genre. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And maybe it was just a bit of a shock for some people. Yeah. And no, I haven't seen that film, but I've heard about it and it definitely looks interesting. Haven't they added a bunch of Jane Campion's films to Netflix? Oh, have they? I think I, I think so. I think I watched Bright Star on there a few months ago. So maybe. Okay. Yeah, no, I need to check out where I can find them because I've seen The Piano. I attempted to watch Bright Star a few years ago and I just couldn't get into it, but I'd like to give it another chance. It's very, yeah, it's it's lovely. I mean, it's it's very different from, I mean, yeah, you just kind of have to go into each film expecting something different. Yep. Um, um, yeah, then Jessica Chastain won Best Actress in The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which I have not seen. Uh, have you seen that one? I have. I didn't love it. I think it was a good movie. I think her and Andrew Garfield both gave interesting performances. I've seen a lot of criticism because she's obviously in very heavy makeup. They changed their appearances quite a bit for the role. So it's like, oh, yeah. maybe her makeup artist deserved that. But they also got awards. So, um, no, I, I think, I mean, Jessica, she deserves an Oscar. Why not? <laughs> yeah. No, she's worked hard. Yeah. She definitely campaigned hard to win for this particular movie. Um, and I haven't seen the movie, but I have seen the clip that is Jessica Chastain singing, Jesus gotta take me higher and higher. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, that cracked me up. I, I did kind of love that. Yeah, it is quite funny. Yeah. Um, okay. And then ha, um, best actor, Will Smith in King Richard. Um, so that's not um, controversial. Well, this one seemed like everyone had they just knew that he was going to win. So I I didn't yes. pay a ton of attention to the campaigning like beforehand. So it's yeah. just like everyone had him as their bet. And I was like, okay. I mean, I've seen the film, like, you know, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Cause like going in, I was like, well, I'm not really a sports movie fan, but the Williams sisters and their story is just so, so brilliant and iconic. And, yeah. and the girls who played them are fantastic as well. So I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, And I guess, you know, Will's been acting for a long time and sometimes people win Oscars for their career in general. I mean, right? As opposed to just like, wow, this performance was so incredible. Yeah. So. Like how much um, of the film is like dedicated to the girls themselves? Like, is it all framed in relation to their dad? Um, so obviously I know that he's like a focal point. It's like, I'm much more interested in like venus and serena then oh you like get a dad, fair amount of venus and serena and their, their mum's great as well okay just the context of like you know how their success story came about he was planning out their futures before they were even born like he is he, he was the driver behind all of that success 
um, which I don't think takes away from what they managed to achieve by themselves. Yeah. It's just he he really he believed in them from the start. Yeah. No, it sounds like a really interesting story. It's like I'm very far away from being a sporty person, um, but even I can recognise, you know, when there's a great story behind like this, these sports people. Um, and yeah, that definitely seems like a great story. Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't, I don't know a ton about Richard as a real person, but I think the film navigated quite adeptly. And I know that the Williams sisters were obviously involved in it. So there's going to be a certain amount of rose tinted glasses, but it, it kind of goes into the ambiguities of like, you know, parents who are coaching and encouraging their children, like where the lines are in terms of like how much pressure you're putting on them and, and how many decisions you're making without them being involved and stuff so yeah but yeah the shades are gray there definitely yeah that is great yeah and then for best supporting actress that was won by ariana debose in west side story um and i was really really happy for that win because i thought she was extraordinary in that film she's just like the total package in terms of like singing dancing acting everything so yeah i thought that was really richly deserved she was very good yeah sorry i just i don't think i loved west side story as much as you did and that's fine like um yeah i obviously don't expect everyone to um be as psyched um i think i'm just like super sentimental sometimes if the mood takes me and that movie like completely won me over oh i love the story i mean it's romeo and juliet you can't go wrong in that aspect yeah she was she was very good yeah okay yeah so for the nominees the nominees were Kirsten Dunst in Power of the Dog Jessie Buckley in The Lost Daughter Judy Dench in Belfast which having seen it I do not understand I think it's just because it's Judy Dench <laughs> I, I would agree yeah uh, then Ariana DeVos in West Side Story um, and Unjanu Ellis oh she was really good in King yeah Richard. in King Richard was she the girl's mum yes. or another yes. character yeah she's oh, mum she was yep. great no, that's an awesome nomination for us. I think that's probably the first time she's been nominated, mm. um, unless I'm wrong. So, yeah, no, it's great. It's, I think, you know, someone like Judy Dench, I feel like she's been nominated like a million times, so it gets a bit boring. It's like, yeah, uh, of course you're going to nominate her. It's more exciting when there's like fresh faces. Um, yeah. Yeah. And oh, Jessie Buckley was so good in The Lost Door. Damn. She's just so talented. Just lots of talented people in that category. Yeah. I think. Yeah, but all doing quite different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm going to move away now, otherwise I'm just going to start crying about how good Jesse Buckley is in The Lost Order. Yeah, so supporting actor, um, that was Troy Kotzer in Coda. Yeah, he's the best part of that film, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I've seen nothing but glowing notices about his performances, yeah. so it seems really well deserved. A really great character as well, so he had a lot to work with, but yeah, very, I was happy about that. No, that's really good. Especially so I know obviously you liked the movie, but you weren't like, this is the best film I've seen all year. So it's good that one of its wins, you could be like, oh yeah, I can get that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where sometimes you can have a category that just feels stacked and it's like, well, I would love for mul- multiple people to win this award, but it can only be one. So it's like, but yeah, that's, you know, it's definitely not a bad outcome. Yeah. Um, and then there was Best Animated Feature, which um, was won by Encanto. Shocked. I'm shocked that a Disney film won. <laughs> Did you see the way that they had announced this whole category? I swear the Oscars in general was basically like this big Disney commercial. 
that or actually in in terms of Troy Kotzer oh my god that was actually quite shocking when they did that so he gave his speech you know lovely um and then they cut away to what you think is going to be a commercial break but it's actually Chris Evans and he's like oh I want to congratulate Troy Kotzer on his Oscar and now I'm going to introduce a clip from my new movie Lightyear and they show a Lightyear trailer I, my jaw actually dropped. I was like, this is so bad. That's so crass. Wow. And then they announced the best animated feature. I can't remember what the order was, but I was just like thinking to myself, wow, this just really feels very heavy on the Disney stuff. Um, yeah. And Disney own all sorts of things. Obviously, they own ABC. So it's like I'm not unexpected. But in terms of like all the animation, when they they brought out the people to present this category and it was all of the people who'd played the live action Disney princesses and of course that was then a way to advertise the fact that you've got the Little Mermaid coming out <laughs> just like this is too much you shouldn't really presenting a category by like talking about Disney before you've even announced the award when there are not wow. Disney people in the category God, th- this all makes me so glad I don't actually watch the bloody show. You know, like I might <laughs> I watch an occasional it. clip. Yeah, and I-, I think to be fair, it's different when you're in the UK because, you know, if you want to watch it live in the UK, you have to stay up at like ridiculous o'clock, like 2am or something. I remember I used to do that for sleepovers with my friends when we were growing up. Wow. But I, I wouldn't dedication. these days. Yeah. yeah. No, I respect that. Um, but yeah, and it's just not the same, you know, if you're watching it after the fact, you know, like um, you kind of need to be watching it live, I think, for it to have any magic yeah um so yeah the magic's all gone by the time i wake up <laughs> oscar's mourn sadly. Yeah, you get all of the drama yeah exactly i just see people what happened reaction <laughs> gifts and yeah but yeah, this yeah that just the entire construction of the show was bad like not yeah. not well done at all it's a bit of a mess they need to sort out yeah that's a real shame um so yeah, the nominees for the animated category were Encanto, Flea, Raya and the Last Dragon, Luca, and the Mitchells vs. the Machines. Have you seen all of those? Seen everything but Flea, okay. which I plan to watch anyway. I think it's still on Hulu. So Yeah, Flea is brilliant. I've seen all of them. Um, and like, I, I think for me, in terms of the film I'd give the award to, it'd be Flea and the Mitchells vs. the Machines. Um, but they're such radically different types of movie yeah. that I feel like I want to give them both awards. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, it's not on a level, you know, it's just like a completely different type of film. Mm. Um, but yeah, of the ones you have seen, which one would you have probably given like your hypothetical award to? Mitchell's. Nice. I mean, I, yeah. I know people really love Encanto and I thought Luca was cute too. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the Disney animated ones have been a bit lackluster recently. I mean, obviously, yeah. I am not the target audience. So. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it, that shouldn't be, like, a barrier, you know, for us finding it a, to be a great film as adults. You know, so I agree with you. I think a lot of the recent Disney Pixar films, they've just felt, it's hard to describe, like, incredibly low stakes. Yeah, they just get formulaic. I mean, I think I've just seen too many of them. I do plan on watching mm. Turning Red, which I've heard a lot of good things about. yeah. But no, and I liked Turning Red. It was cute. Yeah, and it, uh, but I I do think it's important to remind myself that these aren't for me, you know. So sure. it's like I'll watch them and and it's fine. But I don't expect to have my mind blown. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to be talking about Bruno. Then. Well, it's like you know the the Frozen thing. That was just a complete phenomenon, and I finally watched it, and I was like, it's okay. 
but it's the home and adult <laughs> show sure. <so> whatever <laughs> yeah yeah it's not gonna have the same impact you're not gonna be going out there getting your Elsa dress <laughs> oh my god just the mental image of that is hilarious to me um okay then best documentary feature uh, that was won by summer of soul um, I'm not sure how many of the other nominees I've seen, but I have seen Summer of Soul and that was really, really great. That was a brilliant documentary. So unless, you know, some of these other documentaries that I have not seen were absolutely staggering, I think that sounds like a worthy winner to me. The thing about documentaries is it's like, I don't really understand the technical aspects of what goes into actually making a documentary good. So for me, it's all about the subject matter and this was great subject sure. matter. So in terms of like actual quality as a documentary, I can't really speak to that. But I, I loved Summer of Soul and it's on Disney Plus and Hulu. And I really want everyone to go and watch it because it was just so, so good. Yeah. And it's just a rocking great time. Yeah. You know, just like the songs and the quality of the like performances and stuff. It's just an amazing concert movie as well as being like a documentary. So yeah just watch it if you love good music yeah basically yeah. don't be scared off by the fact it's a documentary there's lots of incredible music everyone should watch that yeah no absolutely worth your time and i'm just looking at the nominees and um they are ascension which i've not heard of flea which again is amazing it was also in the animated category it's really great um, Writing with Fire, which is actually on BBC iPlayer in the UK, and I've started watching it. I didn't realise it was Oscar nominated, um, but that's a really interesting film about um, a woman-led newspaper in India that's basically trying to cover, you know, topics and subject matter that wouldn't really be covered by the mainstream, mm. and how the newspaper is trying to go digital, you know, and broaden its outreach. Um, and yeah, I haven't finished watching it yet, but. Not because it's not good, it's really good, but just because I ran out of time. So yeah, I'll have to go back and finish that now. Um, and then one called Attica, which I've also not seen. Yeah, interesting films. I do like a good documentary, so that's why I'm dwelling on it a bit. Um, okay, then Best International Feature Film. Um, I think we've already said this, but do you want to remind people of what won that, Kirsty? Yes, it's Drive My Car, which I loved. <laughs> it was also in the Best Picture category, and I would have been very happy to see it win there too. Um, yeah. I, I had forgotten that when they do Best International Feature, they grant it to its country of origin, which really seems quite strange to me. But Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> you know, Japan. It's not like the, the whole movie. country of Japan. Was, <laughs> yes. like, everyone lovingly played their part. <laughs> they are adding Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy to Criterion Channel this month. Oh, good. So, I'm so happy you can watch yeah, that. I will yeah. definitely be making a beeline for that when it's available. Uh, yeah. No, we should do like a whole spoiler special on Will of Fortune and Fantasy. I love that movie. You talked about Drive My Car last time because you liked it, but you didn't love it or you just preferred Will of Fortune and Fantasy. I shouldn't put words in your mouth. Yeah, I think it's somewhere between those two things because like I really liked it. You know, it was very well done. And I, I think my main impression was that I really loved the first three quarters of an hour where it's basically the story of him and his wife you know, and gradually giving texture to their relationship and making you understand the dynamics going on there. I found that whole opening to the movie so intriguing and fascinating. And then something happens and the focus of the film changes substantially. And the rest of the film is still a really interesting movie, but it's a very different type of movie from how it starts. And I kind of preferred the movie it was for the first third over what it was for the final two thirds. Okay. If that's fair. Yeah. But yeah, my feelings might change upon a rewatch, you know, because I think it's the sort of thing where I could 
benefit from letting it sink in and then rewatching with the full context of what it's about in mind. Yeah, I really didn't know anything about the story going in. I know it's based on a short story and I probably will get to that at some point. But um, yeah, I was very surprised. Like, I didn't expect to see like um, the theatre performances or the rehearsals, which I found pretty fascinating. I thought all of the driving scenes were done really well, too. Like there's always something going on underneath the surface. There's always a purpose to all of those scenes. Yes. Um, and even like the dinner scene at um, the co-worker's house and uh, just all Oh, that was a great scene. Lovely. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And the ending to the film is really spectacular. It's so like powerful. And yeah. And particularly there's like an end scene at the theatre, you know, it's like a climax, I guess. And there's scenes upon scenes and there's like a final performance moment. And yeah. I, I think I like it more the more I talk about it. You know, <laughs> I think about it and I'm like, yeah, actually that is a pretty damn good movie. It is great. Great performances. Um, and you know, I, I know people are like, oh, I can't watch a three-hour movie. That just seems so intimidating. You can break it up. I think I watched that over three days. And that, yeah. maybe that's heresy to some people, but it worked for me. And I feel like with the pace, I think it lends itself quite naturally, yeah. to be honest. You can turn yeah. it into a bit of a mini-series for yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, practically, you know, that, that sometimes is the only option to get through something like that. But um, for me, it just it kind of allowed me to immerse myself a bit in the story and like the characters journeys and, and think about where it was going to go so nice yeah um and yeah other nominees there were flea yet again because um flea was just sweeping all those different format yeah i'm definitely gonna have to watch that yeah i really do think you'd love it it's really really well done and then lunana a yak in the classroom which just from the name i really want to watch that because <laughs> a yak in the classroom and what i hope is that that's literal you know, because sometimes you get these like out there titles and it's like false advertising and it's like there's not an actual yak in the classroom, you know, so I'm going to be very Didn't disappointed. Didn't notice any dogs in the power of the dog. But... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no. Zero stars. <laughs> Needed more dogs. No licorice pizza in this film. I want my money back. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's going to take me a while to recover from that. Um, uh, and then the worst person in the world, which is oh, really, really fantastic. Oh, I that one. Yeah, no, I think you'd really love it. It's just brilliant. I watched it again last, no, the night before last night, so Wednesday. Um, and yeah, oh, mwah, just so good. I yeah, I've seen a lot of, um, well, not a ton, but like some kind of disagreement and interesting discussion around that, and like whether that kind of story about the messy often white middle class characters like not really knowing where their lives are going and making a mess of everything and like heavily flawed is that like getting tired as like a a mini genre on its own um but i i can't get enough of those honestly (laughs) yeah and i feel like you'll see when you watch it but it does really interesting things formally okay you know with how it's structured and how the story plays out that means it doesn't feel like the basic version of that you know it's not the white bread like this girl's a mess film you know yeah. so there are lots of those okay. um and she is very messy but yeah it's told in a really interesting way okay um and yeah then finally the hand of god which i've not seen but it's on Netflix. yes i, I plan to watch that it's on my list oh it was a really funny thing last night my husband was going through the my list and i don't think he realized he was like wow all of these films look really good we should watch this i was like yeah i picked them out <laughs> <laughs> he just thought it was Netflix suggesting things. Oh, like wow, well, the algorithm really knows us. <laughs> you should have said like 
No, my taste is just that good. <laughs> I haven't watched them yet, but they look interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, well, hopefully they're all great then and vindicate you. <laughs> yeah, then Best Musical Score was won by June. Um, and I think that's quite well-deserved. That was... It's like a bit of a Marmite score, I guess, and that is very strong. You know, like there are such things as subtle scores. You know, you don't really notice the music. You definitely notice the music in June. But I think, you know, that sort of big bombastic style of music really suited it. And you could tell there was a lot of passion and love from Hans Zimmer that went into it. Mm. So I had yeah, been hoping like for more one. bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> they appear once and I'm like, oh, great. And then, yeah, not again. But. Um, okay, and then we're just going to talk about two more categories firmly. So the others, they're still really important categories. You know, it's things like about the sound and the more technical aspects of film. And I don't, I'm not a fan of those categories not being broadcast. I know, that was terrible. Like Riz Ahmed won an Oscar and it's in the show in terms of like they cut to it later on, but it's not live and you feel like the speeches are cut short as well. It's not right that they did that. No, exactly. It feels like they're not being afforded the same level of respect and I feel a bit bad like not include them here to be honest but it's the sort of thing where I haven't been able to see any of those short films well you know what was weird about it is that it turns out that the broadcast ended up being longer than it usually is so it's not even like oh well we cut some time tracks as an explanation because it just meant that they were focusing on silly stuff. because they just had to advertise Lightyear didn't they so yeah it's offensive yeah it's really bad um but yeah, for the last two categories we're going to focus on, um, there was Best Original Screenplay, and that was won by Belfast. I can't tell you how sickening I find that to be. Uh, they just, they owe Kenneth Branagh an Oscar at this point, that's what that's for. Oh, yeah. He's what He's been nominated like eight times. <laughs> and the thing is, I, I, I do think Kenneth Branagh comes across as a genuinely like nice guy, you know, and I think he seems like a nice person to work with. Which I'm sure, like you said, Kirsty is a big part of why he won this award. But oh, just in terms of the quality of that film, I thought it was absolute gobshite. <laughs> I did not like that at all. <laughs> Sorry. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, like there were a few good performances in Belfast. You know, it wasn't like absolutely irredeemable, I guess. But I think out of all the nominees I've seen, that was probably the worst. Oh, dear. Was, yeah, not good. I just see what else was nominated. Yeah, so like the other nominees were like Don't Look Up, Licorice Pizza, King Richard, and The Worst Person in the World. And obviously, taking into account the fact I haven't seen Don't Look Up and King Richard, so I'm ignoring them. Out of the rest, I think Licorice Pizza and Worst Person in the World both had fantastic screenplays. You know, but again, I'm not the one making the decisions. I'm not the one for vote. Yeah, so, I, I can't yeah. really speak on it because I haven't seen Belfast, but even King Richard, perfectly serviceable decent screenplay so if you're saying Belfast is actually bad that's a real shame (laughs) yeah that was a pity and I'm probably being really harsh on it you know I know plenty of people who really like that movie Um, but yeah just it was a big fat no for me Mm. okay and then finally best adapted screenplay and that was one by Coda which I guess is not a shock because um that obviously went on to win Best Picture. So is that adapted from the French version of the film or is it adapted from a book? Oh, um, Coda? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I presume it's because there's like a previous, is it a short film, the other one, or is the other one a feature I think film? it's a feature, I'm not, sure. I'm not sure, I haven't seen it. Okay, yeah, I guess it's because it's a remake and based on an existing screenplay. Okay. Um, yeah, and the other nominees were The Lost Daughter, Drive My Car, 
June in the Power of the Dog. Um, and mm. I think the Power of the Dog would take that pretty easily. Um, but yeah, and and obviously All I've got double authority there, so I've seen the film uh. and read the book. So yeah, Coda screenplay is not its strong point as a film, right? All of those other ones seem strong contenders. So I'm surprised by that, but whatever. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's very difficult to work out the logic sometimes. But have you ever read any of those articles that are like um, os- secret Oscar ballots and it's like interviewing Oscar voters? Sometimes, and they make me too angry. <laughs> yeah. Like I turn this off after five minutes. Oh, my kid yeah. liked this one. So it's like, oh my God, you're not taking this seriously at all. Oh God, yeah. The, <laughs> the bloody attitudes towards animated films that you see in those interviews, they absolutely infuriate me. You know, there's just zero like regard or respect for animation. Why do they even film? have it as a category as if they're not going to take it seriously? I think um, it all goes back to the early 90s when Beauty and the Beast got nominated. Yeah, for well, picture. that's why I and feel like... And I think like they that, were like, never again. That category is basically just a Disney category. Because obviously they do end yeah. up nominating non-Disney films. But, I mean, how often do they stand a chance? Wasn't Into the Spider-Verse was, felt like an exception. Yeah. No, it really is a disappointment. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I think in terms of even ignoring story or anything like that, just in terms of the technical aspects of the animation and originality, I think Mitchell's vs. the Machines was so much more interesting than like any of the Disney Pixar films in that category. Yeah. But yeah, is what it is. Ugh. Clearly just need to work harder and get that Academy vote, Kirsty, so then I can have a say and stop bitching from the sidelines. Um <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we've been going almost an hour talking about distinctly non-Stars things. In the show notes, I will put a timestamp, you know, for where people can jump to to actually get to us talking. Some people don't care about the Oscars at all, and I don't blame them. No, exactly. Yeah, like I would never expect someone to like patiently listen to all this if they don't give a shit about like you know Oscars or Oscar-type movies. Um, Honestly, even if you don't care about the Oscars as a ceremony, like you don't watch it. God, they really do need to figure it out for next year. And stop trying to like chase this audience who will never watch and really celebrate the films themselves and the people who make them. Yeah. Like I, I think it's quite funny that both of those fan categories were won by Zack Snyder. But like obviously they I it's pretty clear that they were hoping for like Spider Man to win. Like another Disney yeah. property. So <laughs> good for the Snyderverse, like yeah. You know, I've, I haven't seen those, but... I can imagine the bosses, you know, behind the Oscars being, like, in a boardroom or a meeting room or whatever, and, like, brainstorming. Like, we've got to make these awards appeal to more normal people, you know? What sort of films do normal people watch and how can we recognise them? And then they're all, oh, yeah, Spider-Man. Everyone loves Spider-Man. If we do, like, audience awards voted for on Twitter, Spider-Man's sure to win. I was really confused because I swear the Matrix clip they showed was from the original Matrix. That's not... Oh, I swear when they showed it, it was like actual like the bullet time Keanu in 99. It's not. I don't think it's from Resurrections. So very strange. That is bad. I guess Resurrections does have a lot of clips and like repurposes footage and stuff from the original film. But I feel it would be obvious if um, (laughs) that's what they were showing. No, actually, yeah. Are there any like final remarks or anything you'd like to say about Oscars and stuff before we move on definitively? Just kind of what I was saying that I think they really they need to figure out what they're doing with the future of the the way that they present and distribute those awards. They, If they're going to give out awards, they need to actually do it in a way that 
celebrates them and 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 doesn't it, there's just like a lot of mockery going on and there's like a lack of respect yeah i i don't know what to say because i don't know what the solution is yeah like i don't have a very clear picture you know of the ceremony as a whole obviously i didn't watch it but just from some of the clips I've seen and some of the things people were quoting as presenters having said, it all just seems incredibly cynical. It's like weirdly mean-spirited. Yeah. Like I get that like comedians, if you're going to hire comedians to host something, they're going to crack a joke, obviously. But like it's all like, oh, we don't actually watch the movies or oh, who saw this movie? Not me. Or, oh, God, I'm really struggling to get through this one on Netflix. It's like we get it. <laughs> yeah. Like you only need to make one or two of those and then... I don't know. It just had this like sour tone to it. It's like, what? Why? What's the reason for that? Yeah, no, it's pretty grim. Oh gosh. Um. Yeah. So I hope they do better in the future. Um. But yeah, I'm happy for some of the things that won there. You know, like I'm personally really happy for Ariana in West Side Story. I'm really happy for Summer of Soul. I'm happy Drive My Car won, despite, you know, my complex feelings about that film. I'm happy the score to June won, you know, so there are, like, quite a few wins that I'm really happy happened. But there's also other things that leave me seething. Did you read that article that came out a while back about composers and how things work in Hollywood? I can't remember no, if it was the Hollywood so. Reporter, but Hans Zimmer was one of the names where it was like, it's an open secret that he doesn't compose a lot of what goes into his scores himself. Oh, really? They have a oh, lot of damn. uncredited contractors. Oh, that They're makes me sad. Underpaid, oh. undervalued. And it, it wasn't just him. It seems to be like this big industry issue. But right. that's why my enthusiasm for that one was tempered. And it might yeah. be the case for everyone who was nominated, but they, re- you know, that's the kind of thing that like really needs to be addressed. I don't know if it ever will be, but you know, yeah. it's such a competitive industry that it means that people will end up exploited, and it's just not right. And I do think Hans Zimmer is quite prolific yeah, as well, exactly. doesn't he? So yeah, no, yeah. that does make sense. Um, but yeah, no, onwards and upwards to the 2023 Oscars. <laughs> There's already great buzz about Damien Chazelle's Babylon, which I'm very much looking forward to. So. Yeah, we'll see what the next crop of movies is. Because while there are a few real standout movies, I feel like there are maybe only like four or five movies from 2021 that I felt really passionately about as being excellent movies. Mm. You know, there were plenty of good movies, but there were only like a very tiny number that I thought were genuinely great. And unfortunately, several of those weren't recognised at all. God, the last all. Um, but yeah. It's time to move on. The last jewel is the winner in my heart. So. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's probably hard to make movies in a pandemic, so I, I get it, you know. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they can make up for lost time. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move in to Star Wars territory. So, <laughs> Sorry for the people sorry. who are just here for the Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys read the notes. I promise I do tell people in the notes where to go um, for quick access to Star Wars things. Um, So yeah, this is kind of hilarious, but I think one day after I published the last episode of the podcast, um, the teaser trailer for Obi-Wan Kenobi came out and obviously we had a bit of an extended break from the podcast because, you know, we had various holidays and just personal commitments, etc, etc. That meant we couldn't record for a while. And so we come back three weeks later to give our um, really up to the up to date, like quick out of the gate um, thoughts on the Obi Wan Kenobi teaser trailer. 
So I hope you're excited because we're super late to this, but we're here. We're not going to have any new insights. I'm sure it's been combed over frame by frame. What are your general thoughts on this Obi-Wan Kenobi teaser trailer? Well, first, before I even get into the actual trailer, I think, unfortunately, my mood, and I'm sure this was the case for a lot of people, was kind of overshadowed by the news of Disney donating to the politicians who then voted for the Don't Say Gay bill. Yeah, yes, of course. Yep. So when this came out, we were all like, oh, is this just them trying to distract from that terrible press? And it just, it, for me, it felt like I, I'm not in the mood to enjoy anything Star Wars right now. So that really colored my, like, I just felt really cynical at the time. Yeah. So I, I took about a week and then I rewatched it. And I actually, then at that point, I'd watch it on a bigger screen. And um, I realized that I was looking forward to seeing you and again in this role. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, good. after the book of Boba Fett, I felt like my expectations had been set pretty low. And, sure. uh, and my expectations for that series in itself had not been high. So I would look at, you know, there's a different team behind this. It sounds like Favreau and Filoni are involved at a minimum, and unless we've been misinformed on that. But, uh, so they're about to spring out on us like a jack-in-the-box. Deborah Chow, I was impressed with her Mandalorian episodes. So, you know, I'm going to try and go into this with fresh eyes and hoping for the best. Um, and you know Ewan's a great actor and he's obviously the central character so it'd be interesting to see Obi-Wan at this time in his life yeah now I think I'm really curious to see just how introspective this show goes because obviously I understand it's a Star Wars show on Disney Plus it needs to have pretty broad appeal you know on that basis but I do hope they take advantage of the fact that they have Ewan Bloody McGregor. You know, he's such a good actor and he's capable of being so nuanced and having so much texture to his performances. Um, and I think he was obviously really great as Kenobi in the prequels. But I feel like he's at a much more interesting point in his life in this story. And they acknowledge that in the teaser, right? Because at the beginning, he's basically like, there's no hope. Yeah. You know, he seems pretty disillusioned with everything. Living in his cave. Exactly. And I guess if you compare that to like Alec Guinness in the original, he's, you know, he's not like out on the town in that film, but he's relatively like upbeat and perky. You know, he's like joshing a bit with Luke. He strikes me as someone who does have like a bit of hope, you know, like he's not completely demoralized when he meets Luke in that film. So I'd like to think that a thread of this story will be about how Kenobi begins to like rediscover that purpose and meaning again. Gets his groove Beyond back. Just, yeah, gets his groove <laughs> back. Yeah, that'd be a great subtitle. Um, yeah, besides just watching like Baby Luke Skywalker through binoculars, because <laughs> yeah, I, I'd find that really boring. Personally, this is terrible. Sure. When I saw Luke, I was like, oh god, not again. <laughs> I think actually when the um, trailer went up, I think that was the first thing Kirsty sent me. It <laughs> <laughs> was like, like uh, hot on the yeah. heels of him CGI'd and Book of Boba Fett. I'm like, enough! At least he's an actual child in this, Kirsty. Can you imagine if they'd like CG'd Mark Howell's face onto a child? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I, and I doubt that he's going to play a major part. It's just, you know, he has to be there because you've got Owen and Baru, and obviously that's the reason that Obi-Wan's on Tatooine as well. So, Yeah. 
and Baru watch. I think this is a really underrated aspect of the teaser, but you actually see Baru. I didn't even realise. My complaint was like, oh, we didn't get any Baru. So I'm glad you corrected me on that. She's wearing like a transition outfit between what she wears in um, the prequels and what she wears in A New Home. Yeah. So, yeah. I think it's so cool that Joel Edgerton has become a big star as well since then. So, yes. you know, he can, yeah, get into that role and put some more meat on on the character. Yeah. Although I must say, because they will talk about them separately, so there's a few cool things in the um, photos that aren't necessarily in the teaser. Um, but there's like one still frame of Joel Edgerton um, in the show. And I honestly thought it was Ewan McGregor for like half a day. Well, they wear pretty similar clothes, don't they? Yeah, they wear similar clothes. They're both white men with facial hair, you know, like how much are we expected to differentiate between <laughs> No, I, I do recognise that they actually have quite different faces, but um, yeah, I've got face blindness sometimes. Um, I think one of the more talked about aspects of this teaser was the Inquisitors, um, <laughs> that they've got a whole look going on. I don't think his head looks that bad. Really? Okay. As opposed to what? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it obviously looks goofy, but it's Star Wars. Yeah. Um. I think maybe partially it's because I haven't seen Rebels. And I know plenty of people who, like, a big Rebel stands are, like, complaining about this and saying his head needs to be thinner and stuff. I mean, sure, but, like, um, those animated... Like, not everyone is going to look the same when you translate sure. it to animation to live action. Because, like, Dooku yeah. in Clone Wars is, like, super stylized. Yeah. I think it's probably just, like, a mix of only getting, like, very brief out-of-context clips of the character for me. To be honest, you know, I think it will probably look better in the actual show where I have more context for this character. They might still be working on the effects as well. I don't know how that works. Yeah. And I really, really hope that they do give some context for these people, you know, because they have to recognize that a lot of people watching this thing will not have seen Rebels. Mm. You know, like me, hand up, you know. They don't do that though, do they? And <laughs> Yeah. I'm not expecting a lot of context, you know, just like throw us a bloody bone. You know, like, even if it's just, like, a bloody, like, opening crawl, you know, it's like, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi's been in hiding for so many years, and there's inqui- there are inquisitors, evil people tasked with hunting down the Jedi by the Emperor, something like if that, you, were you just know? just going by the original trilogy, you'd think that Vader was the only Force user in the Empire, and he was working by himself, right? Yeah. That's obviously not exactly. the case. You know, you've got series like rebels that sets up the premise that he has these inquisitors he has you know a task force team whatever but you wouldn't know that if you hadn't watched those shows so yeah they need to contextualize that somehow but they could easily like if they've got vader in the show they can show him meeting these other people and giving them assignments (laughs) yeah you know if you've seen the prequels at the end of the prequels i think you could like easily be left with the impression that the only jedi still alive at the end of that series of films are Obi-Wan and Yoda. Yeah, so I think basically, you know, with Rebels, I'm just a bit stuck in my ways, you know, it's still a bit, like, I I just can't get my head around, you know, all these Jedi running around and stuff. I'm, yeah, I, I guess I'm like a, a film snob or whatever they call me, <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I think it's a fair point to raise because while the cartoons are obviously very popular and have their own following, a lot of people come to the Star Wars live action not having seen them. Like yeah. whether they host podcasts or not. So <laughs> thank you. That makes me feel Hopefully, it all still just like flows and feels natural as part of the universe. So one of the other good things 
that I noticed as I was watching the trailer and like just felt a sense of relief about, especially again after this comes like off the heels of Book of Boba Fett, is that it's not just going to be set on Tatooine. Um, yeah. Originally, I had thought it would be because I just thought, well, it's it's Obi of Obi Wan, of course, that he's going to be on Tatooine, right? He's there on in exile, and you wouldn't really imagine him leaving. You know, take his eye off Luke for a second. Well, I guess we haven't. Do we see Obi Wan in the trailer on these other planets? But we see other planets anyway. Yeah, no, we do. I don't think we see Obi Wan Kenobi off Tatooine. You're right. Um, but yeah, we do see glimpses of the other planets, and also the inside of what I'm assuming is an Imperial Star Destroyer. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I'm guessing at some point Obi Wan does end up leaving because it would be hard to have a show where other characters are doing interesting things out there, and then he's just stuck twiddling his thumbs in a cave. Yeah. And we've also uh, seen that, yeah, there's limits to what you can do with Tatooine from Book of Boba Fett. I'm oh, sorry, it can, that's me. Well, you know, I just, depending on the kind of show that you're doing, because like you said, I when we heard about an Obi-Wan Kenobi show first, I thought it would be like very small in scope and just kind of focused on Ewan as an actor. But this obviously has a huge cast and there's the Inquisitors and all sorts showing up. So it's very exciting and dramatic. And that's just kind of different from what I'd initially expected. Yeah. So, yeah, in this kind of story, whatever whatever's happening, I would expect everyone kind of be to leave Tatooine. Exactly. So, yeah, it's... In a way, it's funny, isn't it? It's just a bit of a reversal from what you'd expect. You know, you think of Boba Fett as being the sort of character who's flying between different planets. You know, he's got all these different bounty hunting missions. You know, he feels like a very cosmopolitan type of character. Whereas Kenobi feels like the guy who, yeah, would just be on that one planet, just hanging out for 18 years, waiting for Luke to become a man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a bit like a reversal of fortunes for the respective shows. <laughs> Maybe that was a conscious choice to do, you know, subvert the fans' expectations. I still don't really understand what Boba Fett was doing on Tatooine. But. Yeah, no, it was very odd. He even he didn't want to be there by the end of the show. So yeah, I think and that says all. We didn't get any Vader, right? No, no Vader. Although mm. there is a voiceover, an ominous-sounding voiceover about like hunting Jedi and stuff that we both think sounds like Palpatine. I'm sure this has long since been settled and it's probably all been agreed on Twitter or whatever that is Ian McDermott. But I don't know that for sure, but I think to me it sounded an awful lot like him. So yeah, I'm assuming it's the Emperor. If it's not him, it sounds like someone who's way too similar sounding. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Similar enough to cause extreme confusion. And it makes sense for him to be there if Vader's there and all the Inquisitors, you know, he shows up in Rebels too, so... Um. Yeah, good old palps. Yeah, I like him. Seeing like old palpy around and just doing well. I like to see him. Um. So yeah. And it's and a lot of the voiceover, like what they're establishing there in terms of how the Jedi are perceived at this point and what their weaknesses are and oh, they have too much compassion and all that. It's 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 a nice way to kind of set the scene and you know a lot of it really is about Obi Wan Kenobi in particular. Yeah. He has a lot of compassion and he cares too much. No, exactly. He's a big old softy deep down, which is why people love him. Yep. And then moving on, we have an EW cover story about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, And yeah, you made the point that it's their last cover story, right, Kirsty? Which is like the end of an era. They've been going a long time. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it now because they're moving to like solely digital. So I don't know how online magazines present 
covers is that still a thing do they do that or not i I think they do you know if you like go to the like i I don't do this you know but there's like a bookstore or whatever like on google play and i think you can buy magazines right magazines still have covers yeah but it's their last print cover a cover is nowhere near as important when it's not there on a newsstand you know trying to attract you and i'm sure people collect the star wars ones yeah and i'm very sure that's why they made this the last print one because they were like our numbers have been falling but if we put ewan mcgregor as obi-wan kenobi on the cover we know it will shift a decent amount of units (laughs) so they know what they're doing they will definitely have sold more than usual for them um so yeah um the pictures, they're nice, you know, they're, they're lovely pictures. They don't really tell us much, which is fine. And also the teaser itself was very, I guess, you, you know, and understandably, it's just a teaser. They're not going to give a lot away, but it's very like a bleak. Oh, and also, ju- just because I had forgotten, at the end of the teaser, you hear Vader breathing. So I guess if you want to consider that to be an appearance, Vader makes an appearance, but... I personally just think there's a cop out. It's like, yes, we know Vader's in it. But thank you for reminding us. <laughs> just in case people had forgotten. Yeah, exactly. And also just for the normies who pay no attention to such exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. But so, otherwise, I know some would get an email. So I just wanted to be like, no, actually, yes, there is Vader's breathing. Um, but yeah, in the EU cover story, it, there's like um, an article, obviously. And there are some interviews there with you and, and Hayden. I must admit that I have not read it thoroughly. I've sort of seen a few cute quotes and I think it's mostly just them being like, oh yes, you've got happy memories from meeting before and it was so nice to see each other again. And yeah, hang it was out. sweet. And yeah, it was cute. Did um, you see any quotes that stood out to you, Kirsty? Was that your impression too? Just, just those ones about how comfortable they felt around each other and how nice it was to see each other again. And yeah. Deborah Chow noting that Hayden Christensen is indeed Canadian. So that's <laughs> <laughs> just... Absolutely critical yeah. information. Um, but yeah, no, it was very sweet and wholesome. Yeah. I, I, they're, they're not really giving much away right now, which is fair. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, and yeah, alongside the article itself, there are a bunch of photos. Again, they really didn't give much away. They did give me um, the opportunity to write some incredible captions um, with a heavy focus on alliteration and poetry. Um, so we've got Kenobi in a cave. Which I really like, Kenobi in a cave. Cave. See, see, it is alliterative. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it looks very much like all the Jesus imagery we've seen of um, Ewan as Obi Wan over the years. Um, it's got a very Jesus vibe going on. Um, but yeah, no, I like that. You could see like a Qui Gon Force ghost popping up to him there, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. We could just be chilling on his own. Although, actually, if you look closely, there's like a pillow, isn't there? And I think that's probably where he's been sleeping. Yeah. Which looks really sad and uncomfortable. Yeah, I do wonder if there's an element of, like, guilt and and self-punishment going on in the way he's living at the moment. He's obviously depressed. Yeah, no, exactly. He's not making any effort to make himself comfortable or homey. Which is quite sad because he's been there about like 10 years looking at how old Luke is and it's like, dude, really, you can't keep on doing this. Yeah, well, I guess that'll be the journey that he realises there are still things worth fighting for. No, exactly. And that's to me, seems like a nice story that's worth telling. So, yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, weren't there some comments from Kathleen Kennedy about how they realised when they'd been like writing the early scripts that they needed to have something that was a bit more uplifting? Yes, that's right. Those quotes are out there. Because you could do something quite dark with Kenobi at this point, couldn't you? Because they turn it around. 
that might explain all the different uh, script writers they've had involved in terms of trying to get the tone right because I imagine agonies were taken over that. Mm-hmm. Um, then my next caption, the one I'm most proud of that I actually tweeted about in advance, is Kenobi with a pony. <laughs> Like it's so beautiful. So the thing is, guys, you aren't seeing the pictures, so I've got to do some things to make it interesting in audio format. Oh, people know which one you're talking about here, because wasn't it a big deal that you could see? Is it called an EOP? Yeah, I think you so. see them in the prequels. They fart. It's a big <laughs> moment. It's been memed to oblivion. I've literally I've listened to reactions. People are like, oh, I hope we see one fart. Oh god. <laughs> Thank you, George. That's so funny because Ewan, he strikes me as an actor with so much like gravity and gravitas <laughs> to him, you know, and if they were to like punctuate one of these scenes with like a big horse fart. <laughs> yeah, they're probably going to avoid any of that like, well, I don't know, actually. I was thinking they might try to avoid the extreme silliness and like that Jar Jar <laughs> yes. humour. But maybe it's having a bit of a comeback. Yeah. Well, Well, there is an awful lot of prequels nostalgia going on already. So I guess it just depends on how bold they're going to get. And then there's a really sweet picture of Moses Ingram as her Inquisitor character, who apparently is called Reva. It's a very nice name. I like it. Also sounds like quite a nice, like friendly name. You know, it doesn't sound like the name of like a really bad person to me. So I I think I'm already inventing a redemption arc for this character in my head. I've seen people pointing out the similarity to Revan, if it's oh, if it's Reva, yeah. you know, and and that character is playable as female and male in the game. Yes, so. that's a really good point. Um, and yeah, like this character just has a really striking look. I love how they've done her hair; she looks incredible. Um, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And there's all she also makes a nice contrast with the background. She's in some sort of marketplace that. I'm presuming it's on Tatooine. So it's all the typical, like, depressing and boring clothing that they're wearing. Um, where she's just looking like a style icon. Um, just pretty fabulous. Um, and then the next picture, um, and the last one I have here, there are others, but I didn't include them, is of Joel Edgerton and Moses Ingram staring at each other. Mm, intimidating. Exactly. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, in like a strong way where, like, hmm. Yeah, like trying to intimidate each other. Yeah. So are they looking for Kenobi specifically here or just like Jedi in general? I don't think they've clarified that. It's wild that. to me that like Vader would have any kind of suspicion that Obi-Wan was on Tatooine. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I think for that reason, I feel like it would have to be like Jedi in general. You know, otherwise it kind of just plunges into complete silliness. Like mm. all the um, backstory to the original trilogy. Yeah, you can't think about it too much because it's like, okay, so his his family are still, like his half-brother or step-brother, whatever, still there on Tatooine, doesn't think to pay them a visit. Yeah, it's just wild. Yeah. And you know what? Knowing Star Wars, he probably does in one of the comics or whatever. Oh, I'm like, sure he does, yeah. This is what I mean about them like undermining the original films yeah. and like the importance of Vader not knowing until he meets Luke that his son is still alive but apparently he totally does know so it's like obviously even stuff like these shows are stretching it you know in terms of filling in the gaps but I think that point underlines why I just can't even begin to think about taking the comic seriously as like actual canon that actually happened you know let alone stuff that goes on at Galaxy's Edge like in the Galactic Star Cruiser the idea that all that's meant to be canon is ridiculously funny to me um 
but yeah, it's just a mess. <laughs> um, yeah, and then very quickly, um, we had a new teaser. Well, not really a teaser. It was like an announcement, right, from you and McGregor yesterday or the day before, yeah. um, where he was announcing that the premiere of Kenobi's been delayed by two days from Wednesday to Friday at the end of May. Um, and instead of getting one episode, we're gonna get two. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I have kind of mixed feelings about that. Like, it's gonna be fun, you know, to get two episodes at once. But also, there's only five episodes of this thing. You know, it's very short, and it's gonna make it feel even shorter. It's not even gonna last a month now. And part of me feels sad about that. I. Uh, it doesn't bother me if it, if they're done really well. I get yeah. what you're saying. No, exactly. And you, I guess you can have too much for good thing i think andor is like way more episodes like about 12 and yeah that's coming later so i guess we don't know how long these are either like are they like an hour long yeah like so i guess boba fett episodes were like anywhere between like 25 minutes and an hour like you know so it was quite a broad field so yeah these could be anything hmm um, and yeah, finally, um, we've got some information about the writers for the Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes. Um, and yeah, I guess we don't really want to read out who wrote um, each episode individually in painstaking detail. But it looks like Joby Harold is a credited writer on all of them. And Hussein Amini is the credited writer or a credited writer on the first three. Um, and would you like to explain why that's interesting, Kirsty? Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by that because he was the writer who was initially announced and then it was announced that Joby was replacing him. Yeah. So the fact that he's still being credited shows that at least like core elements of the story that he was developing are still there. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I'm pleased to see that because I really like Drive as a movie and, and he wrote Drive. Nice. And I just felt like the, the vibe of that movie would fit with Obi-Wan Kenobi as like a, a loner in a kind of like noir with a slight mystery thriller element um i just i I could see ewan in that kind of role yeah no and it's nice like i obviously you know i don't know any of this but i'm presuming that maybe it's like hussein i think he was announced as the writer in september 2019 and then joby was announced as the writer in april 2020 and it was positioned as joby was replacing hussein Mm. um but i'd imagine that maybe the situation was that Hussein had written those first three scripts you know they they wanted something a bit different and so at that point he parted ways and they brought in Joby but they didn't throw out Hussein's scripts that he'd already written at that point but they just had them revised and adapted and stuff so yeah I agree with you I was pleasantly surprised to see that he's still credited yeah it makes me wonder if they just kind of had a disagreement on how like what tone and note the series should end yeah, because if it's a mini series, it's meant to be kind of like this finite ending. But I've already seen Kathleen Kennedy fielding questions about whether they will continue the story, and she's like, "Never say never," essentially, because <laughs> they can't. Sure. So um, maybe they wanted to leave things a bit more open-ended and optimistic. Yeah, no, it should make sense. And yeah, then the other writers who were completely new names who are credited on several episodes. Um, or at least one of them is credited on several episodes, so the other is only credited on one. Um, Hannah Friedman is credited on several of these things, um, and it looks like she is a relatively newish writer. I, it looks like mostly she's done TV work, and most notably she's written two episodes of the new Willow TV show that's also being done by Lucasfilm. 
So my guess based on that would be that they liked what she did on Willow, you know, and that gave them trust in her abilities. And they then ported her over to Kenobi. So I feel like I might be making assumptions, but I think we're safe to assume that they probably consider the Kenobi show to be more important than Willow. When is that meant to be coming out? I think later this year. It's filmed, I believe. You know, I think they're done filming. Yeah, just for my selfish personal reasons, I hope it's this year because I think it looks really cool and I like the original movie. So, yeah, I want more. I like the original movie, but I haven't seen it in a very long time. I yeah. I don't really know what to make of... Yeah, not, like, eagerly anticipating a series. I don't know what to expect. Yeah, I think I read some a synopsis a while ago. You know, it sounded quite appealing as well. You know, it was about like princesses and stuff teaming up and going on an adventure. I know it sounds super generic, um, but it sounded better than that. You know, I'm just not doing a very good job at describing. Then one of the other names is Stuart Beatty. Um, and Stuart Beatty, he wrote screenplays for things like Collateral, 30 Days of Night, and my personal favourite, G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra. Um, so. Okay. <laughs> um. I haven't seen any of those. No, me neither. Um, yeah, but he's clearly worked on some movies. Um, and yeah, it's hard to say what level of involvement these people have had. You know, there's like guild rules and stuff that govern how people are to be credited when it comes to teleplays. And it looks like he's like last, you know, usually when he's credited for teleplays, which based on my primitive understanding probably means he's like the least involved or important writer. But I might be wrong. Hmm. Okay. Um, and then who's the last big name on this list of names, Kirsty? The perhaps name that people will have most known if they're not already invested. I didn't in know his stuff. name, but it's Andrew Stanton mm-hmm. who directed Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. Yep. And John Carter. Yes, exactly. Um, and yeah, that's quite surprising and quite a big name. Um, I don't feel like I've seen much from him recently. So, yeah, it was a surprise that he was involved with this. I had no idea he had any interest in Star Wars whatsoever. But I guess given John Carter, you know, that felt very much like an attempt to capture that Star Wars spirit. You know, and obviously, you know, that's based on old books that predate Star Wars by a long way, you know. But it's that weird thing where I think by adapting these really old stories that probably to some extent inspired George Lucas... They're trying to make a new Star Wars, if that makes right, sense. Right, it's like so, Dune. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I guess it shouldn't surprise anyone that he's interested in Star Wars and got involved in this, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Finding Nemo, but <laughs> I don't really see how it would connect. Yeah. You, you mean you're not drawing the lines between Nemo and Obi-Wan Kenobi? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Obi-Wan Kenobi does reunite father and son, but... Oh, we're, we're yes! Oh my god, that's such a good point. Wow. Parallels. You fight so good at finding the parallels. Yeah, all that like meta and textual analysis is just paying off big time. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> is Deborah Chow, is she directing all of them? Yes. That's oh, thank god. Point. Okay. Yeah, no, which is really good um, news in my opinion. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how cohesive this whole thing feels. You know, so they've obviously had behind the scenes shifts and it's been through different stages of development um but yeah i'm cautiously optimistic you know it's i'm not like bouncing off my seat for it you know so i'm trying to keep expectations in check but they've got a strong cast they've got a strong cast i'm really excited to see you in as kenobi again and yeah i'm also interested in the prospect of the different planets and stuff because 
I think a big part of what just bored me to death in the end of Book of Boba Fett was just the endless Tatooine. And I got to the extent that, you know, when we had those episodes that had nothing to do with Boba and we got to see that really cool, like, Ringworld planet, you know, that was awesome. I loved that so much. Um, yeah. So more of that, please. More planet diversity. So, mm. Yeah. The, it's interesting, the scheduling of it during Celebration, because obviously the most hardcore... <laughs> fans who can make it to celebration will be there and i'm sure they'll make time to watch it but it'll cut into whether it's sleep time or con time yeah i wonder how that's going to impact the how it's received yeah i do not envy the people going to celebration that it just sounds incredibly exhausting maybe people can organize viewing parties or maybe they'll even have some there like officially like rooms people to go it feels like deliberate. I think this isn't the first day of Celebration Thursday. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, if they'd stuck to the previous plan, Kenobi would have aired before Celebration. Um, so, yeah, that maybe suggests they're going to have some sort of big event to launch it at Celebration. Maybe you and I'll be there. Maybe he will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely um, make people very excited. That's probably a good time to wrap things up. So, I'm Rachel, and you can find me on Twitter at Rachel1918. I'm Kirsty, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Scavengers Horde. Until next time, bye! Bye!